talking all things theatre and events. We created all of the creative captions. We, we put them all into the programme. There's so many people so out there who make such an effort to give back to young people trying to make start up again. And it's absolutely fantastic. So shows that would have been at Sadler's Wells or Birmingham Rep or um, sometimes National Studio and stuff like the day before and then would be in a community space in Gloucester the day after. The Stage Is Yours podcast. Hello and welcome to The Stage Is Yours podcast with me, your host, Carl Graham, joined as always by producer Dan, here to talk all things theatre and events. Joining us on the podcast today is Christina Poulton, Chief Executive of Striker Light. Striker Light do amazing work in making theatre accessible to everyone, supporting artists from all over the industry to make amazing pieces of work. Christina joins us today to talk us through everything Striker Light and their incredible work. Christina Poulton, the stage is yours. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. Yes, um, it's full on, which is weird um, given the current situation, but... Yeah, it's nice to be here. Nice yeah, to see absolutely. you. Um, so you're from a company called Striker Light, for those who don't know, who are a organisation, a Gloucester-based organisation. Um, so if you just give us a little bit of an overview of what Striker Light is and what you guys try to do. Yes. So we used to be a festival, which is a lot easier to explain because yeah. you kind of people get that. Um, so we've been we've been kind of looking at particularly now where are things different. We've been looking at kind of different ways of describing who we are and what we do. Um, and it's basically it's about working with artists and um, companies and communities in Gloucester to create exciting events and projects that usually happen in unexpected places or non-theatre spaces. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of, it's great. And you're obviously, unfortunately, Gloucester is not blessed with a great, uh, as a particularly well-known theatre hub, I think is how I'll phrase that. Yeah, it doesn't have like a traditional arts infrastructure. So it doesn't have like a theatre royal or a playhouse or um, a kind of standard art centre as such. Um, And it's yeah, it's had quite a quite a few years of kind of disinvestment from traditional arts funding and touring as well. It, if you look at touring maps, quite often it was a black hole. Um, but what's then kind of happened in that gap is there's a lot of um, kind of people creating their own stuff and um, communities who've um, been creating their own events for years without worrying about the fact that that wasn't there. Um, which started off for us at the beginning, we were like, well, there's not a theatre and we need to try and you know, create theatre spaces. Um, um, but actually, it's become something, you know, even if now there was a brand shiny new theatre built, um, the strength of what we do comes from working in different communities and being in non-theatre spaces and the way that you're able to work and the people that you're able to meet through doing that. Yeah, absolutely, which is which is great, I think, trying to create theatre that's not meant to be in a theatre or not that isn't stuck to a theatre I think is yeah. is great and almost taking the taking performance and art into those communities which is what you guys really uh, sort of specialise in really uh, which is great um so you guys work with artists from all over the country um yes. safe to say um and bring in lots of different stuff in so you've got working partnerships with a number of different organisations across the country yeah, so it's um, yeah artists that um, either 
are touring their work obviously pre-covid would tour their shows to gloucester um so we had quite a lot of shows that would have been at um so shows that would have been at Sadler's Wells or Birmingham Rep or um, sometimes National Studio and stuff like the day before and then would be in a community space in Gloucester the day after um, and so um, yeah there was as you all know very well from the time that you've worked with us <laughs> yes. there's a whole process of how you translate that and make that show possible in that space um, but then the payoff obviously is the the um, kind of quality of engagement you get with that so audiences who would never normally set foot in like a big spangly theater will be in that space because it's their space and will love that show and be a part of it and will be meeting the company and chatting to people in a way that just wouldn't happen normally yeah absolutely and i think that um you've touched on that your the work you guys do bringing these shows into gloucester where there isn't a theater as such um comes with its very own unique set of challenges to make that theatre as accessible as possible for for the uh, people that you've got uh, or the communities that you go and work in so um i mean you guys had or track had frankenstein the with uh yeah so um beatbox academy yes, um Murray's show which was a fringe first they were touring internationally um yeah we hosted a work in progress of that and the group performed on the car park rooftop in gloucester at one of the events as well yeah, which is great. So you guys, get, uh, like I said, and you got that really early doors before it even before it took off and became the kind of phenomenal sensation that it kind of became, which is which is great. And kind of, but like I said, you guys took that into right into the heart of a community, and from that you've stemmed a number of different workshops and outreach kind of programs. Yeah, and Conrad's brilliant. Like he's such a great advocate for us, um, and a lot of that is because he genuinely loves that aspect of working in the arts so there are some artists and companies where um you where it's just not the right fit for them and that's okay like their work is made for different kinds of spaces um, and we always have conversations with companies beforehand about this is the setup this is what to expect um but the kind of payoff for it um so like um yomi sode show coat which was at the roundhouse and toured nationally um, that came to a community centre um, in Gloucester and he was saying it felt like the most significant show to date because the audience that he'd written it for were there and it was their space and everyone was coming up at the end like meeting him and hugging him and wanting the script and all of that kind of stuff um, so yeah so it's not about kind of dumbing a show down or um, you know kind of being trying to be all generous and bring art to the community like it it's basically about how can we get rid of some of the rules and structures that are there that don't always serve a show best um so there's lots of stuff that about going to the theater that actually doesn't work for lots of people about you know the fact that if you turn up more than five minutes late it's terrible and you have yeah. to sit in the dark and not speak to anyone even though you're spending yeah. an evening with people and it's supposed to be a sociable thing and we've actually adapted the format of a lot of events based on audiences saying, but I want to come with my whole family and I want to catch up with people beforehand. And so we'll quite often have events where there's um, like food or music and time for people to chat beforehand and people kind of rock up when they want to. And then the show itself is still a really key part of that. But 
people are having a whole enjoyable celebratory evening out, um, which is kind of sort of what you think theatre should be, but actually a lot of the time isn't. It doesn't feel kind of social and celebratory a lot of the time, I don't think. Yeah, I think there are certain... Yeah, I think theatre could become that kind of thing that people will go see a show and that's it and kind of sit there, watch it, appreciate what they're seeing. But yeah, they're kind of... And then the notion of, oh, you go for dinner before the theatre and then you do this. But the idea of bringing that as to one kind yeah. of event or one event's the wrong kind of word, but the one kind of thing for people to come to and they can do all of it in one go is is great. Yeah. Um, we had sorry. an event where... Um, because of the format of it and because of the because of the context we were able to be flexible in a way that you couldn't in a traditional setting um that was part of black history month and a woman said at the beginning she was like i've got a poem i want to read can i read it there's no way you'd be able to do that in most contexts but Mm. because of the setup of the event we were like yeah yeah sure that's fine um and she kind of stood up before what would be seen as the main show and read her poem and it was absolutely the highlight of the evening and people were absolutely in like in that audience were absolutely loving it were completely with her and it just made that evening but it wasn't something that we planned in no absolutely and I think having that kind of adaptability and flexibility to your events uh just makes them gives them that whole different level of accessibility to everyone and that story of her reading that poem is the fact that she's from that community as well yeah and not just the guys see the show I think strikes a massive chord with everyone yeah who's there yeah and I mean I'm not doing a kind of you know in the good old days type thing but in terms of you know where theatre comes from you know even like traveling theatre and stuff people would be really excited because it would be coming to their community it would be part of their community um you know performers would stay with that community they'd all eat together like part of that kind of the whole kind of thing about being with a community has kind of gradually been taken out I think and that's something that that we are able to put back into those events yeah absolutely I think that brings us nicely onto kind of uh striker lights work in and around accessibility and not just kind of in all aspects really um so uh, and touch around some of the work that you guys do with that in terms of you guys work in just about every kind of way to make things as accessible as possible for everyone I feel yeah and I mean there's you know there's always way more that you than you can do um but in general if you're trying to make something more accessible um I suppose there's a couple of things there one is about working with people um so if it's trying to make it more accessible for people who've got young kids or trying to make it more accessible for a particular community or making it um, accessible for um, people with um, particular mental health needs or stuff like that, working with and talking to people who experience that about what they want to see and how they want that to work. Um, But then also that most things that you do to make something more accessible for a particular group very often will make it accessible for more people in general. Um, So, you know, if you're doing something so that people can um, take part if they have a particular disability or um, particular mental health needs, then very often that can just make it more accessible for people that might not have been to the theatre before or um, might not, you know, respond to the traditional setup in 
in a really positive way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even just from the very, like you touched on there, the very simple nature of taking that into their community, into their, um, and for a lot of the communities, certainly Gloucester, from my time with Striker Light and the communities we worked in, their communities very much centre around those uh, community centres and whether that be a church, village hall, community centre, wherever that is, that's forms very much a part of their hub in their community. So bringing that very simple step of bringing something into that and seeing it in there and not trying to kind of completely transform it into a theatre and make it not look like their um, yeah. hall, I think, starts even from those very simple steps. And then, like you said, moving on into um, your whether you've got people with with various mental health access needs and various things like that that start to really grow and kind of move forward yeah and in it's also it's about being able to let go of stuff and a lot of the you know I've done a lot of front of house in my time and the idea of a show going up two minutes late like makes me feel queasy Um, but that kind of stuff about you know we have to do things like this do you um and yeah and so if you are working in community spaces you're in those people's spaces they know how best to run an event in their space they know what people are going to respond to um there's got to be a kind of working together on it where you are able to then be flexible about how things work and how things don't um and I've definitely got a lot more chilled about that over the time of working with Strike (laughs) so for like really early days we did this event and I was trying to run the box office and it was one of the first events I'd done with Strike a Light and I was just like I just it was like everything (laughs) it's like you know when you have those event dreams where everything yeah like is out of your control and no one's listening yeah Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like that, except it wasn't really going wrong. It's just that no one was following any of the rules that I was expecting (laughs) and people were kind of running in and out and they were like, oh, and I was saying, have you got a ticket? And they were like, but this is my family. I've brought them along. I'm in the show. How can you, like, why am I charging them money to see me? I live with them. And and in the end, I just had to let it go and just be like, you know, this is what this event is and it's okay. I mean, that's not, you know, that's not every event, but that was quite an extreme example. But yeah, it it was the beginning of a process of chilling out about the rules that have been drummed into us in terms of working in theatre, that this is how you do it. Yeah, I think that's very much the, yeah, absolutely spot on with the kind of how, I think everyone who came to work with Strike Light at some point has had that initial moment of, okay, yeah, we'll come in and you've got your idea of how you want it to happen. And for the most part, that's how it will go. But then, yeah, every now and then you will get those unusual situations and you just kind of, like you said, adapt to it and you go, actually, no, it's that's what this is here for. And whether yeah. it's, um, I mean, All Nations Centre in Gloucester is was certainly one of my working with that community was massive eye opener of how that community operates and works and trying to... <clears throat> trying to run that show and kind of think of that and just having to go would well, you know what we're just gonna let it let it happen yeah let it go yeah um, yeah it was kind of a marker of success that one of the events we did there um we had someone come to that event and at the end of it they were like well I just didn't know what was happening I didn't know if it started I didn't know and I was like yeah <laughs> we feel the same it's part of the joy <laughs> we we had one where um 
people loved the show so much they were messaging their friends and saying come and see this which you know from a like on its own from a theatre perspective like that's you know people spend however much on marketing that's what you want to happen you want people to be dragging their friends to it going you have to see this but it just meant people were turning up all the way through (laughs) and Ellie who was looking after front of house was getting more and more twitchy because she's like me where she's got that front of house background of this is how it has to work and she was like right that's it no more late covers and then the door opened and she got up to be like you can't come in Um, and someone invited their grandmother and um, this kind of like beautiful old woman who was there at the door and I was like you're gonna have to let her in (laughs) yeah you got there there's just certain people that you can't turn away yeah but no yeah and and I think that's great from that like you said just making this into these communities where it's not something that happens on a regular basis for them and then it really does become something that they all massively get involved in uh which is amazing and I'd like to talk about Striker Lights co-creation and your kind of uh, initiative and program around that yeah so I think this has kind of come out of more and more of the work that we've done and I've been aware of it while we've been talking now mm-hmm. it absolutely can't be about um, us being like the art saviors and being like oh no you have no arts here have some arts we know what's best like that is just yeah. and everything about that makes me really uncomfortable um, and and, you know, kind of I've been giving examples of the way through, but it's about bringing together our knowledge and expertise and the knowledge and expertise of that community about how best to do this and how does it work and sharing that decision making. Um, so in terms of, you know, from like right back to what shows are going to work to where do we program them? How do we program them? Um, and the more we work on it and the more I, I'm kind of immersed in it, the weirder it feels that the kind of traditional setup is that you have an artist or a company over here on their own who make a show. And then they go to an organisation and say, oh, please programme this. And then the organisation's like, oh, OK, yes, we will, because there's that weird imbalance of power between artists and organisations that's been massively highlighted over the last how, like six months or so. Um, and then... And then the organization takes it and then separately goes, we need to find an audience for this. And where are they? And is like shouting out into the ether being like, please, please come to this show. Um, And so what we've tried to do is just flip that on its head and start with us and communities and artists in the same space saying, okay, what are we going to do? And that the decision-making from the beginning is shared so that the knowledge and expertise of that community is valued from the beginning. Um, So in terms of what the content is, how it works, all of that decision-making, that that isn't us second-guessing what we think is best um, because we're the art saviors. It's what's going to work and what's not. Um, and, And again, it's that thing about letting go of stuff that's been drummed into you from the very beginnings of working in the arts of... Um, yeah, but it, having to be responsive and flexible and waiting to make decisions or letting other people make decisions or sharing decision making, it's against a lot of the ways that we do stuff of like, you know, you must have a project plan and it must be really detailed and it must be down to the yeah. like, you know, last minute of this is what's going to happen when and how. And it isn't saying you don't do those things, but you don't do those things in isolation. Yeah, I think it's it's great that you guys and. Um... 
utilizing what's within that community because the people within that community know what that community want so and that's and just bringing that and then like you said bringing in the expertise from striker light to go right we're gonna not tell you what to do we're just gonna tell you help you and help you grow whatever it is that you come up with which i think is which is great um and kind of touches on your i've seen recently through your social media um your thing around artists and paying artists for being an artist yeah which I've mentioned to a few people and they kind of look at me very blankly and go (laughs) and I'm like yeah yeah they're just paying them for being (laughs) an artist yeah (laughs) there's nothing else attached to it which some people find very strange but yeah it's a wonderful initiative it's one of those things that shouldn't be revolutionary but yet it somehow is so um Ben, who um, does our marketing, used the word radical in the thing. And, and there was a lot of kind of debate on Twitter about, you know, is it radical? But actually it kind of is and it shouldn't be, but it is. Um, yeah, we <laughs> when we launched it, we were like very niche Twitter celebrities for a while. Yeah. Um, and it just went crazy in a way that nothing else we've ever done has. Um, yeah, because the you know, as soon as lockdown started and um, it became clear what the kind of support structures or not were going to be for the arts industry, there's always been a bit of a um, artist feeling like venues hold all the power and make all the decisions and um, there's an imbalance there. And it just massively exacerbated that in the way that the pandemic has with pretty much all kind of systemic inequalities. Um, for the arts industry, it pulls all of those kind of ones yeah. to the fore. Um, yeah, so it's basically that um, most organisations don't think twice about employing someone to do their marketing. Um, and yet, even though they're an arts organisation, most organisations don't employ artists. Um, and the artists are in this kind of treadmill of applying for call outs and grants and things all of which are criteria set by other people and trying to make their work fit into those and they never get to just create stuff um so it's literally an experiment what happens if you pay if you employ and pay an artist for a year to be an artist and what does that do for the (laughs) what does that do for the work that they create um and you know straight away people start kind of saying stuff about you know what if they don't do anything and it's like well what if you employ someone to do marketing and they don't do anything like you you employ someone to do marketing and they and whatever they choose to do doesn't market it then that's the exact same thing as an artist not producing anything but I think yeah yeah and we pay we pay other people on time in rather than output whereas artists we only pay them when they've made a show yeah once they've put all the hard work in yeah so yeah so all that kind of planning time thinking time all of that kind of stuff um which would allow people to engage with communities in a way that the touring structure just doesn't allow for um would then be paid time as part of it and then if you did have all the time so when you put together like a bid for a project and you're like oh we're going to have four weeks rehearsal um because we want to work so there's a show for example that we've been supporting that's working with um new parents and babies and so they have x number of days to engage with those families as part of the development of the show and that number of days is dictated by how much they could fit into the funding bid 
Yeah. It's not dictated by what they actually need to do yeah, that well. To do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and imagine if you could get to a point where an artist creates a show and by the time they've done it, they have the whole community behind them going, yes, this is brilliant. And they're already messaging their friends saying, you have to come and see this because yeah. it's owned and created together. No, I think it is. I think it is really great. And it is a, yeah, the term of radical, but is it radical at the same time? <laughs> Imagine if you exactly. paid an artist in the arts. Is That is the absolute right way <laughs> to describe it, that it's everyone else gets paid for what you do. And yet, as an artist, like you said, a lot of the time that pay is offset way beyond should your show get somewhere. Yeah. Which so yeah, I think it it certainly caught my eye, and like you said, it certainly caught a lot of people's attention. So I think a lot of people will be very watching and kind of interested to see quite what does happen and how it does ultimately yeah. work out, which I think is great. And um, what what we're doing with it is we're making sure that each stage of it is um, transparent. So we're like publishing planning notes and um, notes from the meetings we've had with artists and partners and stuff. Um, so that if other people want to do a version of it that they can yeah no I think it is really great it is really great um Karen um you touched on a little bit of obviously into the pandemic and obviously it's had a massive impact on the industry as an absolute whole and still does um <laughs> slow signs of things possibly starting to move in the right direction currently but yeah whether that stays the right way we're not sure um so how have you have strike a light and yourself found the pandemic obviously in the, uh, once the initial hit has happened <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean that was a fun week we had three sold out shows that week and then oh, wow. Boris was like oh don't go to the theatre I mean you don't yeah. have to close them but don't go yeah um yeah and it was still that bit of um oh it you know it, it might not be for very long and all that kind of stuff um, and we had like our own version of, is it the Cobra meetings or whatever that they yeah. have? We had our own version and we had like the whiteboard up and we were like, right, Everyone's all there, things what? are happening in the next three months and who's going to look after what and empty the fridge and close the office. Um, and I only took like a couple of things with me because I thought we'd be back in the office in a couple of months Absolutely. time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh no, no, I don't have that. That's at the office too. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, we, it was weird at the beginning because we, didn't immediately respond with anything for audiences yeah. and I think the first kind of three to five months we were just going on instinct so we just rang up artists that we would have been supporting or working with and we're like what you know what can we do together how can we support you what do you need um and we kind of realized a couple of months in and I had a bit of a moment of like should we be putting out some digital stuff everyone else seems to be putting out digital stuff um yeah. but then in a way I'm glad that we didn't because I feel like everyone just needed a bit of time to work out what was going on first um and it wouldn't necessarily have been good or or who would it have been for really and I think like, so yeah and at the point it was a very saturated market because like yeah. I said a lot of people went to it which was great but everyone did and I think potentially a lot of really good stuff actually might have just got lost yeah in, the sea that that became yeah and I'm not a fan of like the theatre is live for a reason so if it's going on to a digital platform that it needs to make sense for that platform and there are some shows that do that really well and some that it just really struggles with um 
Yeah, so we kind of didn't put, and we did like artist commissions for working in communities and stuff on a small scale, but we kind of didn't put anything out until the autumn. Um, and then we basically, we had a couple of days where we just sat down and were like, what shall we do? Like, what are we? What are we for? What's the arts for? <laughs> Should we just be, you know, doing a slung low and just putting all our staffing into running food banks and stuff? Yeah. Um, and we just kept coming back to the thing of, you know, all the way through lockdown, people have needed creativity for connection um, and to keep them going. Um, and so what what can we do in a, in a sense where we would normally be doing a season of shows? So we'd normally have, say, up to 12 touring shows come into Gloucester. And all of those would be based in community spaces and with engagement around them. Um, but we just sort of flipped it on its head. And rather than starting with the show, we started with artists and communities. Um, and so there's, um, it's ended up being about seven, seven, I think, um, community producers who have been working with local artists and national artists. And their brief was basically create something that your community needs right now. Um, and there's been a real range of different projects through that Um and a lot of it's stuff we've never done before. Um, so one of the ones which has been brilliant was um, a fashion show. So involving like local designers and local dancers, but then working with Danai Harris-Walters, who's an incredible choreographer and dancer that we've programmed before. Um, so we did a bit of kind of matchmaking between community producers and national artists and local artists. Um, and yeah, and it just means that we haven't had a big organizational saga every time the rules have changed because yeah. each community has responded to it depending on what their community so some of those communities were like you know everyone's out and about anyway they're here at these events for free food um so we're going to carry on with outdoor workshops and some communities have said everyone's really scared no one's leaving their house we're going to postpone this or we're going to do it digitally um and yeah, so when second lockdown happened all of them were just like okay we're going to adjust this 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 and it was like sorted in a way that we couldn't have done if we'd been carrying a whole program of shows that we were trying to squeeze into that time. Yeah, I think, which is great. And I think still being able to get out and produce and still offer something to those communities that you support and the artists themselves as well yeah. is, is great. And I think a lot of, a lot of companies were caught out by, and a lot of people were caught out by the second lockdown of having, of going, yeah, great. And kind of going for lots of things and then unfortunately being somewhat caught out and obviously not being able to, go ahead or still having to postpone it all again yeah uh, which is a real shame but I think it is great that you guys have found a way to adapt and adjust it but I think that's where the strike like kind of model and idea works in your advantage in that sense yeah because it's flexible from the beginning um and yeah and I suppose that because we don't have those structures and we don't have those venues that that does give us a flexibility that I know is much harder for organizations I'm aware of you know how kind of lucky we are in this setup in terms yeah. of we're able to do that because we're not you know stressing about having to make everybody redundant um so yeah it feels it feels slightly odd being really excited about what we're doing in this time because I'm aware that for some organizations it's such a really awful bleak time yeah, I think it's, like I said, I've talked to quite a few different organisations and people over the last few weeks and months and it's, everyone's got a very different story and it's in fact affected people in different ways. But 
there is an overarching theme that people certainly now after certainly once second lockdown hit of finding ways that actually they can make the most out of this and even just a simple talking to some companies and probably myself a little bit lockdown came at a time when actually we just needed a break (laughs) some time (laughs) off to kind of go and relax and kind of do that and I was talking to a theatre company that I've done quite a few bits with at the fringe and they were saying actually it's the first time they've gone into rehearsal for a new show having everything planned and it doesn't feel rushed and it doesn't feel like they're stressing because they've had all this time suddenly to kind of work on it and they're going actually we're going to adjust everything we do going forward to make sure that we've got that we're not trying to run before we can walk in it with a production and events I think everyone's finding a way to to make it work for them yeah if you can't smash the system once the system's up pause when can you yeah exactly absolutely so it's yeah it's a weird weird time but it is great to hear that you guys managed to find a way to kind of carry on and still keep supporting and your local communities more than anything else yeah we were talking um again ben who um does our marketing was chatting in staff meeting this morning and he was saying i'm just aware i don't have like you know a lineup ready for spring and we were like it's because we don't know what's happening yet yeah. <laughs> no one knows no one knows yeah that's it's slightly kind of weird future that no one's quite sure yeah what it is or where what it's going to be but yeah and we said for 21 22 um that we're going to program artists rather than shows hmm. so working with artists and whatever they're working on whatever community producers are interested in um rather than and it might be a show but it might not um but it just means that we're still paying and supporting artists through that as well yeah which is great and kind of brings us on to the last kind of topic and stuff of that which is kind of the future for you guys which is what you've just touched on there of rather than supporting a specific show it's and kind of links into your artist kind of paying an artist to be an artist as well yeah that you're just going to kind of focus on the support for them yeah I mean I think the overriding thing is that we absolutely aren't holding on until everything can go back to normal because there's lots of things you know every single event that I think I've been to in the last 10 years that's a kind of you know discussion theatre based thing someone's talking about the fact that small-scale touring is broken um and that's, it's not something that's got better yeah. um, and a lot of people would say it's got worse so yeah we're not looking to jump straight back into programming in the way that we were um and hopefully if we can be a bit provocative of you know you know what if you pay an artist for a month instead of paying for a show because actually you know sometimes the costs are comparable yeah um and what yeah what if you do you try this and what if you don't make a decision until the artists and the community have met each other and chatted or you know all those kind of things um yeah but then we've had big debates about um so emma jane who um artistic director who leads on our programming um and me ended up at kind of opposite ends of like this kind of spectrum where I'd got to a point where I was like no more shows ever we'll just have artists and communities (laughs) just hanging out and EJ was like but actually um and yeah and there is you know there's a reason I work in theatre like I still if I walk into a theatre even you know proper full-on like red curtains I get a little tingle like 
shows are incredible, beautiful things. And you can do stuff within that, with that level of structure and preparation that you can't in other contexts. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's something between, um, having everything open-ended and just kind of, you know, creating stuff on a very local level and actually kind of providing a platform for the stuff that artists can create, which you could say to someone, you know, what do you want to do or what do you want to see? And a lot of the most amazing stuff that I've seen in my lifetime, I wouldn't have dreamt that up because I don't have the artist's brain and that's kind of the point. So it's making sure um, there's a phrase that I think I stole from um, situations about um, making space for the things you didn't know you needed until you saw them. So what we're trying to work out is how we put that back in, but still keep all of the community-based co-creation artists and communities working together. No, I think it's great. And yeah, it's exciting that like the potential of what things can create. And obviously you can, your artist support could then lead to shows for uh, Emma Jane at the other end of it. And then (laughs) almost end up with kind of that cycle that works. You get not only the artist support through that month, but then a show as well. Yeah. And that's what, yeah, that's what she was saying. Like, you know, someone like Danai who has shown work in progress in the Ornation Centre where, um, you know, people in the audience were absolutely responding to that show and has since worked with local groups and worked with community producers. If he then brings a show, we're not going to be like, oh, well, we can't because it's a finished show Um, because it's going to be brilliant. People will love it. There's people, but I think again, it's that long-term relationships between an artist and a community. Yeah, which is great, and I think that's kind of obviously at the heart of what Strike Light is and trying to do going forward, and has been in the past, and, and a massive variety to that as well. Yeah, which is great. Uh, so we'll move on to our very last thing. These are our three questions we ask everyone on the podcast. Oh, I random. meant to think about these and, and come <laughs> up with something clever. Um, I know it's great. Like sometimes the uh, kind of on the spot answers are hilarious. But yeah, you will get my clever. genuine on the spot answers that's now. Great. That's great. Um, so the first one is um, if you had a dream show that you could work on, that you could program, that you could produce, just be involved in, um, what would that be for you? am I allowed two answers yeah yeah absolutely I mean (laughs) most people have I think I've only had one person so far give me an absolute definite answer okay so one of them would um be absolutely in line with the kind of striker light work where it would be like a massive probably outdoor extravaganza that um communities and um, incredible national and local artists had created together um, but just of a scale that we've not done before. Um, so I think, was it National Theatre of Wales that did show in Port Talbot? I think so, was, yeah. Um, yeah, but like that kind of, you know, taking over, like, so no one in Gloucester doesn't know that it's happening. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is, um, I still, as you know, have a massive love for for ballet, for musicals, for <laughs> <laughs> for the exact opposite end of the spectrum yeah. um and someone sent me the um the kind of behind the scenes video from the olympic ceremony opening games 
and the DSM calling that show. <laughs> like I was genuinely crying because it's just like the artistry and the precision and managing that whole thing. So it would be to DSM some big kind of Olympic slash ballet slash musical extravaganza. <laughs> Amazing. That's great. Um, I love that. Um, I, yeah, the Olympic ceremony was something else as well. I think even that and the fact that there is somewhere, I can't remember where it is, I'm pretty sure there's a video that it is the opening ceremony with the uh, DSM call track. So you can watch it and the audio is yeah. that. And I'm pretty sure it's around, I've seen either it was a section of it or that, but it yeah. popped up on a couple of podcasts that if you ever had a DVD of a, of a show, there should be an optional extra that you could watch it with the yes. uh, comms call track and hear yeah what's going on that's been a couple of things so I've got to kind of see if that's a thing that I can kind of get going there's been quite a few people thought oh, I'd be really exciting to hear it and I'm like okay I mean you yeah. have to find the right show to do it <laughs> where everything goes perfectly and there's none of the uh, usual comm stuff going on but yeah I was like, it's quite interesting when I was about 10 I think um and we used to live near Leicester um and I won a competition um I think it was the Haymarket Theatre which is one of the ones that's closed down through this as well I think so is, yeah oh I just realized that connection that's awful um but it was to be able to stand backstage so I was stood at the prompt desk and I was able yeah. to like hear and see them doing everything and it was just incredible just that's yeah great love it um so our second one and this is probably the most random one but okay. stems from just a conversation on a stage once I had, I had a few months ago um after an event or a show that you've been involved in, what's your go-to snack? That one thing that after a show, you just go, yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm having. Um, I did think about this one, actually. <laughs> it's it's got to be potato-based. Okay. Um, so um, I think it was after we'd done Rooftop Festival for the first time, and we'd been, like, shifting thousands of chairs in the rain, crying, like, yeah. <laughs> just being like, what we really need is a production team. Um, and we went and got chips from the chip shop. And I'd never had curry sauce because I thought I didn't like it. And then um, Ellie made me try it. And I was sat in the back of the car and she was, like, <laughs> feeding me chips and curry sauce. And it was amazing. Um, so, yeah, or hash browns. Or hash browns. That's a great shout <laughs> mine's re- mine's just malwam because there's always malwam in my toolbox on t- whenever I want to show for a, just a sugar boost. But, Do you have a little compartment for your malwam? Yes, actually in the lid. <laughs> um, Amazing. Um, and our final question: um, if there's one piece or one piece of knowledge or advice that you know now that you wish you'd known 10, 15 years ago when you were starting out and thinking of this as a career, what would that have been? Oh, that's a good one. I think for me, like if I was telling myself, I spent quite a lot of time thinking that the point I needed to get to was the biggest organisations and that I would have arrived and got where I needed to in my career when I was working for big national organisations. And actually when I was working for an organization like that, it just wasn't right for me because everyone had their own jobs and I'm genuinely happiest when everyone is like pitching in together and everyone can put in ideas. Um, So I think it's that, yeah, that you don't have to try and build your career trajectory around getting to the biggest thing. 
it's about finding the way of working and the place that you're happiest. Um, yeah, and for me, that's strike a light away days yeah. when everyone's together planning stuff and chucking in ideas and and then we weren't able to do it this year but usually we'll like all stay over somewhere so we can yeah. like work right through but then all cook dinner together and then sit around in our pajamas yeah it's great <laughs> I think that the notion of beware or find a place where you're happiest to that suits the way you work and the way you are is absolutely great and not kind of assume that just because it's the top of the industry or the biggest company with the biggest budget that it's going to be the happiest place to work yeah um i think that's great i think it's been really nice having you on on our podcast and chatting Thanks through things today me. no worries at all it's been great um and best of luck with everything we strike a light going forward thank you thank you for listening to the stage is yours podcast want to know more then head over to all of our socials. You can find us at Stage Is Yours Pod, where you can catch a cheeky glimpse at some of our upcoming guests and subscribe to our YouTube channel to make sure that you never miss an episode. This has been the Stage Is Yours Podcast, talking all things theatre and events. Until next time.